0: With our souls and what we take in. If we expect to have healthy souls, to have healthy souls focusing on the Lord and His kingdom, we need to be careful what we take in. In the area of animal care, they say that those who lie down with dogs will get fleas. That's true. Especially if you don't have a, a flea collar around your dog, right? This is, this is flea, flea and tick season. So if you love hanging out with your dog, make sure they're protected at least. But here's the, the truth of this, right? There are consequences to who you hang out with. And the folks you hang out with sometimes imbue to you sometimes some unhealthy stuff. So be careful who you're hanging out with. And in the area of insects, maybe this is the reverse of what we want, but they say that it's, it's easier to attract flies with honey than vinegar, right? Now, none of us are looking to attract flies, I'm sure. But when you think about friends you're trying to attract, or even if you're a business person, customers. Well, you know what? If you have a sweet disposition, they're more likely to be attracted to you rather than you having a cranky or a uh, caustic disposition. You see, today we're going to see a scene that Jesus sets as he tells a parable. And it's so full of common happenstance stuff in the agrarian life of first century Palestine That it's easy for his listeners, they could easily just miss or ignore what Jesus was trying to communicate. But if you listen closely, you'll see that Jesus is beckoning people to listen to the message he's trying to give. A life-giving message that's going to affect us for eternity. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to open them up to Luke chapter 8. And if you don't, it's going to be projected behind me. But Jesus will tell this story. So let me just read these first 15 chapters of Luke chapter 8. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Well, his disciples asked him what the parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear and when the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they cannot so they may not believe and be saved those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy and when they hear it when they hear it but when they, but they have no root they believe for a while but in time of testing they fall away The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop." Let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, unpack Jesus' parable here. Lord Jesus, you've already revealed to us that this seed is your word. And even today, a seed is being planted. So Lord, would it fall upon good soil? Would you give us ears to hear today and help us respond to you? Help us to see what you want to communicate to our hearts. And help us to say yes to you, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. Well, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. And last week we were in chapter 7, the very end. And we saw a very beautiful story. Jesus is invited to a dinner party by a Pharisee, a religious expert. And what happens is a bit scandalous. A woman... With a reputation in town. She comes and at Jesus' feet she weeps on his feet. And then she wipes his feet with his hair. Kissing his feet. And then anoints his feet with a costly perfume. Much to the ire of the party thrower. A Pharisee, again, a religious expert. But then Jesus, again, tells a parable for him to understand what's going on. He tells a parable of two debtors. and Their debts are forgiven to illustrate that both he and this woman are debtors in the eyes of a holy God. And she who has the greater debt, who has the greater sense of need, the greater sense of love and gratitude, and the greater faith, she is forgiven. And her faith in Jesus and what he has done saves her. He, on the other hand, is left open to how he's going to respond. Because the question is, how are we respond? And so we're back on the road with Jesus. He's back doing his itinerant ministry in Galilee, going from town to town, proclaiming the kingdom of God. But he's not alone. He's got his twelve The disciples, we have already met them in chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. But here's the thing. As they go along, it's Jesus who's doing the ministry. They're just along for the ride. But also notice this, that there are some women. They are women who have been beneficiaries of Jesus' ministry, like the woman I just told you about. We meet a woman named... Mary, from a town called Magdalene, which means fish tower, which is up on the north end of of, the Lake of Galilee, between Tiberias and Capernaum. She had seven demons cast out of her. She was a woman who was trapped, out of control, and Jesus released her. Interestingly enough, she's mentioned in all four Gospels as a witness of the resurrection. Let me tell you, if that were fabricated, she wouldn't be mentioned as a witness. Because in that time, women's witnessing of things was worthless. But she was there. She saw. And she was given dignity in that. Along with this, we also meet a woman named Joanna, whose husband... Cusa, worked for Herod, the local king. And we don't know exactly what she was delivered from, but she was a woman of financial means. Jesus is reaching people of all economic strata, And she was there along also. she's a woman of financial means supporting Jesus and his ministry. The next woman we meet is a woman named Susanna. We don't know much about her except she had a banjo on her knee. To see if you're listening. And there were other women. Again, they were all supporting Jesus by their own means. Jesus is giving women dignity that they can follow him as well. But at this point, Jesus is doing most of the ministry and his disciples are with him. And this is because Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's preparing his disciples because, see, in the next chapter, he's going to send them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. They have to be sowers, if you will. And so in this chapter 8, they're going to see Jesus preach and proclaim the kingdom of God. They're going to see Jesus set a man free from a legion of demons. They're going to see Jesus raise a little girl from the dead, and they're going to see a woman be healed by the touching of Jesus, the hem of his garment. The disciples are there to witness it. And Jesus is saying, watch me, because I'm sending you out to do this. But especially as you preach. Especially as you sow some seed, if you will. And so Jesus does that. Jesus sows some seed. He does some preaching, some teaching. And again, he uses one of his favorite tools, a parable. So let's just review it really quickly. While a large crowd was gathering and the people were coming to Jesus from town to town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he scattered the seed, some fell along a path it was trampled on and the birds ate it. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up. With it and choked the plants. Still, the other seed fell on good soil. It came and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And then, when he had said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And so, Jesus paints this picture. A first century agrarian <laughs> peasants that everyone was very familiar with, right? A sower goes out to sow seed. It's scattered. It lands on various types of soil with differing results. Some gets eaten. Some gets scorched. Some gets choked. And some is fruitful. You know, at the end of the day, it'd be easy to say, big deal, Jesus. So what? It'd be like going down to Silver Lake Park and saying, Goose is poop on the ground. Yeah. Okay. So what? What's the big deal? But Jesus says, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Listen up. There's something more you need to pick up here. There's something I'm trying to illustrate. There's something I'm trying to bring to your heart. Listen. Listen, there's something you need to understand. It's an invitation to draw near and to dig deeper. To dig deeper. And his own disciples, well, they take him up on the invitation. In verse 9, it says, His disciples asked him what the parable meant. And so Jesus explains the seed. Verse 10. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to the others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Now no doubt this points to what we call the doctrine of election. That God chooses to draw people to Himself. The disciples who believe Jesus, they are given the secrets of the kingdom of God. But let me say this. Let me say this. And don't get too far down this this rabbit trail, okay? It's easy to misunderstand as though God were purposely hiding His word from others and understanding it when they hear it. As the seed is planted. It's not as though God is trying to hide this. He's trying trying to confuse people. That's not what's going on here. Jesus does indeed quote Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. That though seeing, they may not see. That though hearing, they may not hear. But this really harkens back to the Old Testament prophets who were proclaiming the Word of God. They were proclaiming it. And yet, the people that, and they were speaking very plainly oftentimes, the people that were hearing it, they are hardening their hearts toward the Word. They were not spiritually discerning it, if you will. It's not spiritually understood. So this parable is more about how each heart receives the word. It's more about how each soil receives the seed and how it responds to it. And by the way, just in case you think that Jesus has kind of pulled his disciples off into a, a little closet and said, okay guys, here's the secret. If you look in verse 19, Jesus has proclaimed these things while he's, he's addressing his disciples. He's, he is saying this in a public setting where others can listen and hear what's going on. Jesus is not making this exclusive to his disciples. He's giving everyone an opportunity to hear this. And some did. So now, here's here's the the payoff, if you will. Jesus explaining how the seed was received by each of the soils. You know, no sower or farmer throws seed out just for the sake of throwing seed out. Right? There's an expectation. That it's going to grow and bring a harvest. That you're going to have a return for this. That there's going to be fruit. There's going to be increase. Each seed in that little teeny seed has a potential to grow up to a plant that will bear fruit and have an exponential return for it. That's the potential of each seed. And let me say that each of us as... Again, you know... Jesus is going to give this assignment to his, his apostles, his, his disciples in the next chapter. But for us who are on this side of the cross, this side of the gospel, we who are evangelicals, who are good news people, good newsies if you will, when we proclaim the gospel, it has the potential to unlock salvation in the heart of a person. As the Apostle Paul would say in his letter to the Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Everyone who believes this message. And that potential is that it would grow up, mature, and produce fruit. That is our expectation as we tell people about Jesus. That some people will actually receive that it will grow up and they'll produce fruit. It's why I got into ministry. In a Bible study, seeing somebody get the gospel, saying, I get it now. It's what Jesus has done, not what I do. And I walked away crying that night, saying, God, it doesn't get any better than this, to quote a bad beer commercial years ago. But that was the thing. That was my expectation Why I got involved in ministry. But here's the thing, that Jesus is informing His disciples that not everywhere you scatter the seed will there be a germination and a return and come to bear fruit. Thus Jesus' parable here. The pathway, again, verse 12, the one who hears, and when the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. What's true about a pathway? It's hard. It's beaten down. And you can throw seed all you want on it, but it's not going to penetrate. It's not going to penetrate. It's not going to be absorbed. It's going to be, oh, that's interesting, or be discredited, or discarded, or rejected, or being said, this can't be. And eventually, it's removed. By Satan, because he doesn't want it lingering. He doesn't want it hanging around. You know, in Jesus' day, many heard him preach. This is the Son of God. Probably the most effective preacher ever. Many heard him preach, and they were hard-hearted toward Jesus and his message. They rejected it. This cannot be. They did not believe, and they were not saved. The irony is that so many of those people were the religious experts, the religious elite. And it just goes to show us that none of us can save ourselves. But God in his mercy, you know what, if you keep reading the gospel into the book of Luke, excuse me, the, the, the book of Acts, Some of those people who hardened their hearts toward Jesus when he was physically here, when he rose from the dead and the gospel was proclaimed, their hearts were softened and they received it. In our day, today, many are hardened to the gospel as we tell people about it. It's like, man, that is just old-fashioned religious stuff of the dark ages. I trust in science. I trust in technology, our prosperity, psychology, You see, somewhere deep down inside, we believe that we're our own saviors. But here's the thing. Is when God wants somebody, he has a way of softening them up. And the difficulty and mysteries of life can often soften us to our need. So, you know, I went to seminary and I had to take a class in evangelism telling people about Jesus, which was good in some ways. Some ways it's kind of, you know, all right. But there's this thing called the Engel scale, right? Research has been done about sharing the gospel with people. And the Engel scale tells us that in order for an American usually to to respond to the gospel, respond to Jesus, they have to hear the story seven times before they respond. Okay, it's... Just a survey, folks. You know, there's no real science to this. The Holy Spirit can do it time one or time 27, whatever. But that's that's the research. Seven times before they respond. And the truth is that many will be hardened to the gospel when they hear it. But don't give up. Because God has a way of softening people. I want to tell you about Sam Secord. It's this curmudgeonly old guy I knew in North Platte. He was a cop. And he was cynical about the gospel. His wife and his adult children had put their faith in Christ, but Sam, (laughs) he wasn't buying it. You see, he saw too many people in the bar on Saturday night who were in the church on Sunday morning. And he had a point. He had a point. They were not living out their faith if they had a faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? But Sam got older (laughs) and had more health problems and. Pastor of Visitation, Albert Neufeld. <laughs> this old guy, he I mean he would share the gospel with anybody. But many times it shared with, with Sam. Nah, Sam, no, nah, no, nah, Albert, I don't want that. But one time, again, Sam had a heart attack, and he was in the Great Plains Regional Medical Center. And Albert went in there, he said. Well, Sam, are you ready to put your faith in Christ? He says, Well, Albert, I think I am. And he did. And he was transformed. I mean, he was transformed. Again, he was this crotchety old geezer of a guy. And he was the sweetest man in the world after Christ came into his life. Totally transformed him. He became part of the deacon board as far as dealing with benevolence and things of that nature. I mean, it was amazing. And he said, you know, if I knew following Christ was so much fun, I would have done it years ago. Amazing. But here's a man whose heart was hardened. And people were praying for him. He kept rejecting and rejecting and rejecting. But God softened him. So don't be discouraged just because you find there's a hard heart you're giving seed to. The next soil is the rocks. Verse 13. One who received the word with joy, but when they hear it, they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. You see, they received the message with joy at the outset, of course. Who doesn't want to hear that God loves you? Who doesn't want to hear that God can forgive you? Who doesn't want to hear that you can have eternal life? It's exciting. So many benefits. But here's the problem with this soil. It's shallow and it has no root. And so when opposition or suffering or persecution comes, they're surprised. They think, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what what I wanted. And if God loved me, this wouldn't be happening to me. If God existed, He would not allow this. You see, the expectation is because I'm a child of God, well, I should have all the benefits of being a child of God. I want my best life now. I want heaven on earth now. And after a while, they become disillusioned with how life is playing out. They just get to a point say, well, I I tried that God thing. It really, it doesn't work. Here's the problem. Again, this is shallow belief. It does not line up with what the Scripture teaches. It does not line up with with what happened to the first century apostles, most of them went to their lives and went to their deaths proclaiming Christ, and they they died a martyr's death. It doesn't line up with what Jesus taught. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't bless us on the side of heaven. I'm not saying that God doesn't heal even if you're dealing with physical infirmity. But he does not exempt the believer from trials, suffering, or persecution. In fact, he promises it. John's Gospel, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Next chapter. Chapter 16, verse 33, second half. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The Apostle Paul, one who suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus they will be persecuted. Well, those are great promises. Yay! We a bunch of masochists? No. The Christian life is not all suffering. But here's the thing about the Christian life. Suffering is not without purpose in the Christian life. The Apostle Paul, who wrote about this quite a bit in Romans 5 3-5 tells us that we rejoice in our trials because they produce character, and ultimately which produces hope. I'm not going to read the passage right now. And then the same epistle, he writes, I consider what our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Take care that you've not bought into a gospel that promises heaven on earth now. It only comes when Jesus comes. And if that's your thought, it's a formula to fall away. Next is the thorns. Those that hear, verse 14, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasure, and they do not mature. You see, there's initial growth there. But it fails to mature, to produce fruit. Why? Because it gets choked. A diversion of resources, a diversion of nutrients to produce fruit. In that moment of faith, of choosing between earthly comfort, security, and pleasure, or the kingdom of God, we choose earth. So that missions trip... We say, I'd like to go, but it's just too dangerous. Or we say, that's just too much personal time off. I've got a vacation planned. I can't take that time. Our finances for the kingdom of God, for the church, for His ministry, it's going to keep me from realizing my financial goals. That boat, that house, that vacation. In sharing Jesus Christ, we're afraid that we'll be labeled as a Jesus freak in the office or that HR is going to come down and give us the hammer. We forget that Jesus did not save us for ourselves to live our own life as we pleased. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15, and he died, talking about Jesus for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died, for them he was raised again. And also, just the reality that for fruit to be born, there is a cost to be paid. Jesus will say this in the Gospel of John 12, verse 24. Very truly I tell you unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains only a single seed but if it dies it produces many seeds. There's a cost of giving of self of dying to self but it actually produces life and I will say it also produces joy at least that's been my experience. This is a call to mission, to realize that we're called to bear fruit. We're called to not allow those resources to be siphoned off by living for the wrong kingdom. Last of all, the good soil. Verse 15. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. First of all, the thing that that catches my attention is someone who has a noble and good heart. And I go, wait a minute. Isn't that kind of contrary to the sin in our heart there? Really, it's those who hear the word, who take Jesus at his word, and they believe him. By no means are they perfect, but they align themselves with that word, and they produce now let me point out a word here at the very end of this verse the word perseverance that means we're in it for the long haul we're in it for the long haul you see the harvest is not always immediate the harvest is not always immediate going back to my story about Sam Secord Albert had to persevere with him you know, I've been doing my own research about evangelism and, and this new generation of millennials are reaching them. You know what the, the first thing you have to do for most of them? You have to establish a relationship with them so that they trust you. That's the first thing. You can quote all the verses you want to them. But until they trust you as a person, that you're authentic, that you're real, it's not going anywhere. So there's a long haul here. Discipleship also takes time. It's like raising kids, right? There are moments where you see them grow, like, oh, this is so cool. And then there are moments like, who stole my child? Right? Discipleship takes time. It reminds me of a story about President Garfield, who was the president of a college back east. And a father came to him who his, one of his, his son was a student at this college. He said, why is the, the curriculum so difficult? This is so hard, it's crushing my son. And Garfield looks out of the field that's out by his office and he says, you know, I'm reminded that when God makes a squash, he takes three months. When God makes a mighty oak tree, he takes a hundred years. Now which do you want your son to be? Christ being formed in someone takes a long time. And sometimes the growth is not up. Sometimes it's up sideways. Sideways up. It takes time. But we persevere. We persevere in that. A life that's built on God's Word, His Gospel, it produces fruit. And fruit that will last. I take heart in Jesus' words in John 15:16. He says, "You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you, and I chose you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. That's Jesus' promise for those of us who allow His word to have its way in our life. They close up with these two comments. First of all, this is a word to us who try and sow the seed of God's Word and His Gospel. And we may be tempted to try and take the seed to places where we think, this is good soil, so I'll put the seed here. Here's the thing, though. The condition of the soil is really not revealed until the seed is sown. Until it's out there. And it may surprise us that it doesn't bear fruit on certain soil, but bears fruit on the most likely of soils. So don't be stingy. You received it free, give it away free. Number two, this is also a call, this is also a call to check the condition of your own soil, of your own garden, if you will. Are you hardened to God's Word? Are you saying, you know what, God, that that sounds good, but I know better. No, you don't. No, you don't. He is the one who has made us. We need to take Him at His Word rather than leaning on our own understanding. Let it penetrate your heart. Some of us may look in and we find ourselves rootless. We're living for the blessing rather than the relationship of knowing Christ. And by the way, you'll get to know Him much deeper in the suffering and the trials than you do in the blessing. Some of us may look into our garden, if you will, our soil, and find that the fruit we're supposed to be producing is being choked. It's being choked by our desire, our exchange for comfort, security, and pleasure. We've got one life to live on this side of heaven, folks. Let's make it count. And I guarantee you, you will not regret anything you give up for the kingdom of God. It is treasure in heaven. Some of us may need to do some weeding in our garden. And last of all, the good soil... Take heart, take heart, and persevere. Let your heart to be continued, to be lined up with His Word. And God will bear bear fruit through you. It's promised. It's promised. Let that seed take root. The hour is late. Let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. Again, Lord Jesus, you are a great Savior. You came, you lived this life that we could not live. You died on the cross to pay a penalty we couldn't pay, and you rose from the dead to conquer a foe we couldn't conquer. And Lord, I pray that your word will have hit on our hearts today. Change us. Change us. Let the seed grow deep, Lord, in us. Let it grow up, Lord. Help us to get the weeds away, to get the thorns away, and let it bear fruit. That we might have great joy. That we might delight in the privilege of being your partners in this gospel. And that we might love you and be like you even more. Jesus, I thank you for today. Thank you for what you're doing in these young ladies' lives bring to completion the good work you've started. And it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. Thanks for being here. God bless you as you go, and you are dismissed.